Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Thursday, January 21st, 2016. I think we got the problems with our production computers ironed out. We're blaming the Shemitah. Yeah, that's right. Those of you on Facebook and Twitter know what I'm talking about. But we had a really simple way of uh, solving the problem with our production computer. We uh, figured since it was the Shemitah causing the problems, we just used uh, some of Jim Baker's food from his food buckets and just shoved it through the uh, CD-ROM drive opening there and just fixed it right up. It was amazing. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We help encourage you and demonstrate how to Slow down, stop, open up your Bible, very important thing, and look at what God's Word says in context so that you can see what it really means, and then compare what God's Word says in context to what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-proclaimed apostles, apostolettes, and uh, those put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose stuff we need to be studying instead of the Word of God to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says. Are they teaching historic, biblical, Christian, orthodox doctrine and theology? Keep in mind that the faith has been once delivered to the saints. There is absolutely Nothing, and I mean this, nothing new in Christian doctrine and theology except for heresy. Yeah, heresy is the new thing. If it's if it's something, if the pastor, preacher, teacher, whoever it is, is teaching something that Christians have not believed, taught, and confessed for the entire history of Christianity, it's false doctrine. And the, re- the reason for this is simple. Faith once delivered to the saints. And God's word is the thing that equips us. Uh, for every good work. If it's not in the Bible, it's not doctrine. If it's not in the Bible, it's not Christian theology. If it's not in the Bible and Christian theology, then Christians haven't actually believed it, you know, um, for the entire time. Yeah, see, it's in, you just think of it, but, oh, Chris, you're limiting. No, I'm not limiting God at all. Really, I'm not. God has purposely limited his revelation to us. It's not that God is limited. But God has intentionally limited his revelation to that which is necessary for us to believe and trust in Christ 
so that we might have eternal life. That's the idea. If you if you were to think the the purpose statement of Scripture is found in the Gospel of John, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing that you might have life in His name. That's kind of the idea. And so when doctrine comes around that's scratching, itching ears, and you sit there and go, yeah, the pedigree on this theology is really dubious. Yeah, you're sitting there going, because that's not what Bi- the Bible teaches. Well, then as we as Christians are not to say, oh, well, the person preaching it. Oh, well, that guy's making a huge difference, big impact out there. Have you seen that he's got 17 multi-sites around the world? I mean, he's got to be telling us the truth. So, I mean, he's got to be anointed of God. Otherwise, how would he have the impact that he's having? Well, you know, just because somebody is numerically successful at attracting a large crowd does not mean that what they're teaching is the Word of God. And it doesn't mean that they're teaching the truth. It doesn't matter how popular they might be. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4 makes this very clear. Listen to what Paul writes and prophesies in Second Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 1. I charge you, you know, Pastor Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. Yeah, that I think that's now. But instead, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves. Notice accumulation uh, for themselves. Teachers who will suit their own passions. You see, Scripture makes it clear that in you know in days ahead, and I think these days are now, that uh, there will be an accumulation of teachers who will scratch itching ears and uh, tell people what they want to hear. And numerically speaking, that would mean that the most popular people are the people teaching false doctrine, and the least popular and the most despised would be those who are preaching the word and doing what God has told us to do, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and teaching. That, that's kind of the idea that you get there, and it's right there in Second Timothy chapter 4. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And this is one of those episodes where... I, I'm just thinking that I may not be able to get to everything. I'm, I'm looking at this going, well, we'll see what we can do. Maybe I'll bend the rules a little bit on our time, but we'll see uh, what we're going to do here. So we're going to start off with, um, well, you know, uh, Jürgen Matthias of uh, C3 Church in uh, San Diego. And listen to a portion of his sermons, sermon, 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 five things you need to see in uh, 2016, five things you need to see in 2016, uh, Jürgen Matthias. And, uh, and then we're going to switch gears altogether and we're, we're going to have a, um, an update from Ed Young. And I've decided I'm going to switch up uh, our, uh, our update music. There's certain uh, pieces of update music that I use only for specific people and I've decided that I'm going to be really liberal now. And yeah, at least when it comes to how we use update music. Because uh, I'd like to hear some more of the repertoire, if you would, uh, <laughs> music that we offer to people here at uh, Fighting for the Faith. And uh, so I will not be playing our vision casting leader update. I'm going to be very creative and very liberal and stretchy with uh, the use of our update music. And uh, so we're going to be listening to um, uh, Ed Young and his wife, Lisa. And their recent sermon entitled Relationship Goals, The Force of Relationships. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, not sure what that's about. And then we have a Carrie Shook update. Yep. Uh, navigating navigating the oceans of indecision. And then to round things off here in hour number one, we have a, um, a Brian Houston update. Uh, Brian Houston, we've been sitting on this one for a while. He recently appeared on Bobby Shuler's television program, The Hour of Power. Bobby Shuler, the son of uh, the late Robert Shuler, of, uh, formerly of Crystal Cathedral fame, but apparently they ran out of money, and now the Roman Catholic Church owns the <clears throat> Crystal Cathedral. So Bobby Shuler has a program called The Hour of Power where he is interviewing uh, Brian Houston. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the uh, his uh, new book, Live, Love, Lead, and then in hour number two, I'll give you the details when we get there. We're going to uh, listen to you – know, Thursdays, if you haven't noticed, we try to do you know do international sermon reviews. So Thursdays are kind of international sermon review day. And uh, we'll be listening to a sermon from somebody we've never listened to before. But like I said, we will give all the details of that sermon in hour number two. It, it, the name is difficult to pronounce, and I can't even – Remember how to do it yeah, anyway. So that's what we're going to be doing with today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. Uh, we have lots of ground that we need to cover. And by the way, fuzzy bunny slippers, yeah, they do enhance your uh, listener experience. And so with that, we're going to uh, dive into the program proper. And I thought this update music would be appropriate for the segment that we're going to be listening to from Jurgen Matias of C3 Church in San Diego. Here we go. Oh, it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as, as long, long as I do it with a flair. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air. I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke, but they love me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. That's right. As long as I do it with a flair. I'm not sure what to exactly put this under the category of, but what we're going to be hearing from Jürgen Matthias in this segment of his sermon entitled, Five Things You Need to See in 2016. I mean, he's just just spewing all kinds of weird stuff, but none of it's actually biblical, at least not what God's Word says in context. So without any further ado, here's Jürgen Matthias and the five things you need to see. In 2016, can I tell you about five areas in the scripture that, that, that God wants to give us vision for? Right. Five, five areas in the scripture. God wants to give us vision for, right? Now, if, I'm just going to ask the question. If, I mean, right off the bat, if this were true, all right, that there are five areas that God wants to give us vision for, if this was really true, then don't you think that, you know, Christians, from the be- from the beginning of the church, from the time of the apostles until now, would have been talking about and discussing these five areas that want- God wants to give us vision for. I mean, just think about it. I mean, since Jurgen Matthias is just saying this, oh, God wants five things. Oh, well, I want to have what God has given. You know, he wants. I want to have the vision God wants to give me. But I, I, I ask a more basic question. I mean, I've been in, I've been around Christianity for a while. You know. Um, you know, I'm getting up there in age. I'm almost 50. Yeah, and I'm a grandpa, too. Yeah, and, and listen, I know many of you sit there and go, you know, Chris, you talk about how old you are, and yet, you know, you look young. Listen, don't let looks fool you, okay? But, uh, you know, I've been around Christianity for some time. Yeah, you know, I, I went to uh, 
a Christian middle school, went to a Christian high school, graduated from a Christian university. Yeah, so, you know, I've been around Christianity, been in churches since I was a kid. And, you know, when I was growing up, um, yeah, my pastor, you, you may have heard of him, um, yeah, my pastor at the Nazarene Church, he was the cousin of uh, of uh, James Dobson. His name is H.B. London. H.B. London, when I was at Pasadena Nazarene, never once preached a sermon on the five things that wa- God wants to give you vision for your life for. Never once did he do that. In fact, uh, you know, since, since you know becoming a Lutheran, you know, I'm a confessional Lutheran now. I my, one of some of my pastors have included uh, is Bill Swirla, Jeremy Rohde, Ron Hodel. Yeah, yeah. I these these men have been my pastors. I've had other pastors as well, and none of them ever told me, you know, about the five things that God wants to give me vision for in my life. I mean, so I I've, I've got to just kind of ask the question. Is the problem with the pastors that I've had in the past? I mean, were they holding out on me? Were, were they, you know, they would, they were they just basically saying, we're going to teach the full counsel of the word of God. Well, except for this little part over here. Yeah, the, the five parts, uh, the th- five things in your life that God wants to give you vision for. We're going we're gonna to kind of hold that out. We're just not going to teach that part of the Bible. Because none of the guys that, you know, I've ever had as pastors, none of them you can ever say were liberal. All of them seem to be, you know, at least on the surface, committed to teaching the full counsel of the Word of God. And, and well, the other thing is, is that, um, well, you know, I've read the Bible, like, cover to cover, like, many times. Um, still do. And, um, hmm, I just don't recall, you know, not only my pastors in the past never teaching this doctrine to me. But I don't recall any biblical text that actually says this. So, I mean, on the surface, right off the bat, I mean, we're only seconds into this uh, this message. And already I kind of have to ask the awkward question. And the awkward question is, what am I supposed to do with this? Because, I, uh, you know, um, if this is what I'm supposed to believe as a Christian, why was I never taught it? Why is it that Jürgen Matthias, who comes around now in the 21st century and you know, part of the C3 movement, you know, he's teaching this stuff. And uh, why is it that the church hasn't historically taught this? Why is this not found in the Bible? Clearly, is the problem with the Bible? Is the problem with those who teach the full counsel of the word of God? Or, hmm, is the problem with the one who's bringing us this new stuff? You know what I'm saying? We continue. There is. I'm going to try and do these as quickly as I can. Yeah. In fact, why don't you hold me accountable right now? Well, I'm doing that as we speak. I'm glad you've invited me to do so because I'm again as part of my responsibility holding you accountable, Jurgen, is to let you know already what you're saying. It ain't biblical. And let me give you all five, and then I'll go back and explain them. Can yeah. I do that? Oh yeah. These please. are the five areas. Now there are five times in the Old Testament where God specifically says, "See." Uh huh. <laughs> right, yeah. So there's five times in the in the Old Testament where God specifically says, "See." Uh huh. So from this, you've cracked some kind of a code. You know, I I I've done my work. I I I looked in the Bible, and here's what I found. Oh, ho, ho, ho. reading between the lines, not actually reading what the text says. Reading between the lines, I've found these five things because. There's five times where God says, see, 
Yeah, if this were a bridge, I wouldn't be stepping out onto it because um, it's really shaky, and I'm not sure if it's actually connected to anything that can hold any theological weight whatsoever. S-E-E-C. Yeah. Now, how many people know that if God goes to great lengths, if, if God goes to the great effort to, to say specifically, see this, how many people know that it's probably worth a second look? (laughs) What an absurd argument. I mean, this is ridiculous. Can you show me the verses in context, how the word see is being used so that we could actually take a look and you know, see, you know, pardon the pun intended, by the way, if this is actually what God's word says. It's probably worth assessing, man, I wonder if I'm seeing what, what God wants me to see. So there are five times where God specifically in the Old Testament says see, because these are five areas that you and I need to have vision. <laughs> really? Can you back that up with like anything that's actually solid? This is absurd. Well, you and I need to have vision. Okay, so let me give you the five areas. The first one, number one, is God wants us to see process. He wants me to what? He wants me to see process? I mean, what do you do with this? <laughs> well, here I've, I've, I've been a Christian all my life, and, and uh, I've never seen process before. Yet God wills. For me to see process. Hmm. What am I supposed to uh, do? I need to repent? You know, oh, Lord, I'm really sorry. I know I've been a Christian for all these decades. And I've really committed myself to learning your word. But <laughs> I've never seen process before. And now I know that that's what you wanted me to see. I mean, what are you supposed to do with this? See process. God is a God of process. And what verse says this exactly? God of process. The Bible says there is a time and a season for every purpose. Did you spell season (laughs) S-E-E-S-O-N? What is this? Under heaven. You and I on this planet are living under heaven. Yeah. So what we're living under heaven is imperative that you and I understand that there is a time. Yeah. There is a season S-E-E. for every purpose uh-huh. under heaven. Uh-huh. Right. Or literally, God will give you a purpose. Once he gives you a purpose, you need to now understand seasons. It's like he's just making stuff up. I mean, Cheech and Chong could come up with better theology than this. (laughs) What on earth is this? How many people know you don't reap in winter? No, I had no idea. Yeah, I live in North Dakota. I don't see any of the farmers around here reaping in the winter. The Bible says that we plow in winter. Uh, no, no one's out here plowing 
it's the dead of winter out here and it gets really cold and there's lots of snow on the ground. Ain't none of the farmers plowing. They may be actually doing mechanical work on their combines and stuff, but ain't nobody plowing out here. We sow in spring. We reap in summer. We enjoy in fall. And then we sow, we, we plow again in winter. Uh, it, yeah, right. Yeah. Now, now, is this a biblical argument? Is this a biblical doctrine that he's teaching? No. This, I mean, this is not based on anything in Scripture. I mean, this literally, if you want to know where this comes from, it comes from the mind of Jürgen Matthias. And if it has its origin in the mind of Jürgen Matthias, this is man-made doctrine. And Jesus himself makes it clear we are not to follow, believe, or be bound by man-made doctrine. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me back this up with a little bit of scripture. You can find this in the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. Here's what it says. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus, some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. A little bit of a note here. You'll look long and hard in the Old Covenant to find a command to wash your hands. It doesn't exist. Instead, where did the Pharisees get this from? Well, they mythologically came up with this doctrine themselves. This is man-made. Now, watch what Jesus says. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to what's called the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. And there were many other traditions that they observed, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, which is a body of man-made doctrine? But they eat with defiled hands. And Jesus said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites, for it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So, I mean, just listen to what we've heard Jürgen Matthias say so far. Oh, there's five things that God wants, you know, five areas that God wants to give you vision for your life. That's not taught in the Bible. That is a man-made doctrine. Then he said God's going to reveal a purpose to you. That's not in the Bible. That's a man-made doctrine. So here Jürgen Matthias is literally one of these men that Jesus is warning about, that Isaiah prophesied about, people who in vain worship God, but teach as doctrines the commandments of men. That's exactly what Jürgen Matthias is doing here. We continue. No point plowing in the summer. That's, that's when the harvest is coming in. You are now working against the processes. There are a lot of people. Now, listen, here's the thing. Someone else may be in a summer enjoying a harvest, and you can get all envious. Oh, my gosh. Well, how come, their, you know, how come their windfall just happened? How come they just bought a house? How come they just, you, you just don't, don't look at them. Look at yours. You may be in a winter right now where you got to break up that fellow ground. you got to plow. you got to shambramba regadev. you got to shambramba. What? Let's hear that again. You, you, you got to plow and break up. you got to plow, right, yeah, huh? I don't know what this is. 
Maybe you're in a spring where right now all you got to do is sow. You're in a sowing season. It's most Christians don't advance. Most Christians don't flourish. Most Christians don't prosper because they don't understand times and seasons. God is a God. What a completely nonsensical teaching. This is man-made doctrine. This isn't even biblical. And listen, I'm not trying to blame you. You and I live in a world where for comfort's sake, we have eradicated times and seasons. Yeah, are you one of those Christians who, for the sake of comfort, yeah, has eradicated times and seasons? Yeah, bet you didn't know you could even do that, did you? Yeah, because, you know, when I read the writings of the church fathers, you know, all the earliest Christians, they were so worried that they were going to accidentally eradicate times and seasons, you know, through via the Shamba Hugaba Hugaba thingy that he was saying. This, this is just gobbledygook. It's, you know, I was wearing a jacket, but it's too, too warm on this stage because we got air conditioning. So even though it's winter outside, it was like summer before when I was preaching. So we, we, we can, with air conditioning, neutralize. We, with, with lighting, we can neutralize. <laughs> so now he's going, <laughs> he's, he's pulling in the experience that we all have of dealing with Air conditioning. So now apparently air conditioning has some, you know, way of explaining how we can neutralize times and seasons in our life. You know, because like when it's summer, we can neutralize the summer with our air conditioning. Therefore, you can neutralize the time or season that you're in, that God has put you in in your life. And you've got to you got to learn how to not do that. Stop putting the air conditioning on spiritually in your life because you're working against the time and season that God might have put you in. This is nonsense. This isn't Christian doctrine. The Bible doesn't teach any of this. Why are these people listening to this man thinking that he's teaching them something profound? He isn't teaching them anything that is even true. This is just nonsense. So, so we, can, we can tend to kind of believe that there are no seasons or we can just be living in summer all year. And, but you need to understand that the kingdom does not operate. The earth does not operate. The earth operates in seasons. So number one is, is, is process. Number two is identity. Yeah, so, we need, yeah, so the, the, thing, the second thing that God wants to give you vision for your life in is identity, right? Yeah, because number one was so clearly taught in the Bible, you know. I want you to see identity. Yeah, and which verse does it say that God wants us to see identity? How many people know you were born you? Well, um, I couldn't have been born anyone else. So it kind of goes without saying, I was born me. (laughs) Why aren't you going to a biblical text to show us this? You were born you. The problem is we don't know who you is. Uh, uh, my name is Chris Rosebro. <laughs> what? Going to be wandering around tomorrow, aimlessly through the streets of Grand Forks, just doing this. I don't even know who I am. I don't even know me. Uh, what am I going to do? God wants to show me visions for my identity. Can you please tell me who I is? The greater problem is you don't know who you is. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> 
why does this guy have a mega church? Probably because he's scratching itching ears. He ain't teaching what's in the court of a sound doctrine at all. These people are eating this up. They think, oh, this is filet mignon right here. Yeah, this is steak, lobster, and bacon, and, and buttery sauce. And, oh, this is the most amazing thing ever. This is garbage. This is dog food. This, this isn't biblical. This is nonsense. I was born me. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I've got to be really honest with you. I'm 48 now. Yeah. I'm glad you're honest about that. I'm almost there with you, dude. Yeah. And at 48, I, I, I've only begun really to, to begin to realize. Yeah. But it all happened when I met Jesus. Yeah. And what, what, what happened exactly when you met Jesus? Did he give you a lobotomy? Because you don't seem to be speaking lucidly anymore. What happened when you met Jesus? First decade of my walk with Christ, yeah. he would say, this is who you are, and I would dismiss it. He, he would, really? Yeah, wow. Well, that's terrible. I mean, how exactly was he communicating this to you and saying, well, this is who you are? And how exactly were you dismissing what he was saying? You know, I think we might want to get the guys in the white lab coats to come take a look at this situation and see if, um, they, if their, their professional evaluation help us uh, shed some light on what's going on here. Yeah, you, you kind of get the point of what's going on. This is just nothing. This is man-made nothing. This guy is he's a guy who honors Christ with his lips, but just is teaching man-made doctrines, man-made, you know, command, this, is, this is ridiculous. And yet he's, uh, well, part of the C3 movement, yeah, a megachurch pastor. San Diego, very popular. And yet what he's saying has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with what God has actually revealed in his word. Think about it. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, uh, well, we're going to take a listen to some Ed Young and then probably some Carrie Shook. I don't know if we're going to be able to get to Brian Houston today. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. Max Holiday's Birdcage here proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred, I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from 
God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes, I love Because symbols. oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people? Well, major ways through his word. But his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit. So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life, which is why... I got you this. A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no. Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring. What does it do? What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message. Like what? Oh, I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station. for now. <laughs> Let me help you turn on the ring. I have a great idea. Why don't you take it out for a test drive? Aren't you gonna come with me? <laughs> you know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now, here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you. Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave. I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God. You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense. I'm sorry that I caused you so much pain. It's all your... I mean, not your fault. <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring! This is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's. I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog. And I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? 
Okay. There's a dog eating grass. His owner is picking up the poop, and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. Uh, all I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond. You are such a jerk! I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. But there's no tetherball or rope, it's just a pole. I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm gonna take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm gonna have to go get some soap from the bathroom. I can't let you do that, Mildred. Oh dear, it's become self-aware. Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you, for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together forever. Faith Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas is having a Biblical Worldview Conference February 5th and 6th, 2016 with the theme, Standing Firm in a Hostile World, to help Christians in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Biblical Christianity. Speakers will include Pastor David J. Weber, Attorney Mark Stern, Professor Alan Quist, Dr. Adam Francisco, and Pastor Joseph Abrahamson. Registration and details can be found at worldviewsa.org. Again, that's worldviewsa.org. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, Scripture explicitly warns us about doctrines of men and how they make void the Word of God. We'd be wise to pay attention because Jesus is the one who told us that. 
just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. That's right. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, right there in the middle of the page, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. They are friendly and they are yellow. That's right. And one of them says, join our crew. The other one says, donate. And when you join our crew, what you're doing is you're signing up to automatically contribute a particular amount of money every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. And so you pick our rank, your rank. You pick the rank in our crew. And our lowest rank is Powder Monkey at nine ninety five a month. After that, Gunner's made at twenty four ninety five. After that, Master Gunner forty nine ninety five a month, and Quartermaster at ninety nine ninety five a month. This is a great way to support us and uh, helps us build our financial base and our foundation. So we have um, money that we can rely on every month to pay our bills. And we are a cash only operation, by the way. We never go into debt. <laughs> no way. And uh, it's so the idea is this makes it possible to keep for us to keep doing what we're doing and to save up for the next things that we are planning on doing. Yes, we have plans. We have battle plans, if you would. And uh, we're very careful not to extend ourselves beyond what we can afford. But uh, if you would like to support us this way, it would be a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable too. Fighting for the Faith. And then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along, it's time for an Ed Young update. And I think this music fits what we're going to be listening to from Ed Young. It's all about me. Now, as we're listening to this segment from Ed Young out there at Fellowship Church, the name of the sermon, and we're going to be listening to him and his wife, the name of the sermon is Relationship Goals, the Force of Relationships. And you just have to ask yourself the question, what on earth are they teaching here? Because, you know, for instance, when the church gathers, all right, the church has some very specific things to do. Now, I just read out uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, the opening verses in that chapter that make it clear that we're to... What? Preach the word. Yeah, in season, out of season. Because the time's coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will gather to themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Now think of it this way. Let's pretend that all of a sudden in the United States and maybe in the Western world, you know, Western English-speaking world in general, that some bizarre fad, you know, kind of all of a sudden settled in. And everybody, for whatever reason, was really interested in astrophysics. Mm -hmm. Now, you're thinking, that's kind of a bizarre thing. Yeah, I, I know, but it, it's just a, a, an analogy, okay? And so all of a sudden, everybody, all they really care about is astrophysics. Now, what, what would a seeker-driven church do? <laughs> well, they would not miss this opportunity. No, if everybody's is interested in astrophysics, they would use pulpit time to invite astrophysicists to come and talk about astrophysics during the sermon. Now, but here's the issue. Okay, it's 
Not that astrophysics doesn't have anything true to say, and it's not as if God hasn't actually created the universe and the universe in which we can find astrophysics, right? No, this is correct. Okay, but the thing is, is that we're not in the church or during church time called to preach anything that is generally true. I mean, for instance, I mean, it's true that if you add two eggs to, you know, cake batter and whip it up right and, you know, use certain particular ingredients, you stick it in the oven at 350 for, you know, however many minutes, you're going to have a cake. I mean, that's true. I mean, this is not something that's a lie. We all know from experience that this is most certainly true. And yet, sermon time is not a time to sit there and give in, you know instructions on true information that will improve your cake baking experiences and outcomes okay no the text itself again says that we are to what preach the word in season and out of season there's a very limited body of truthful information that the church is gathering to hear we're not here you know, we don't gather to hear all things that are true but only particular things that are true as it relates to what God has revealed in his word regarding the things that we're to believe, teach, and confess for our salvation so that we might have eternal life and know what the will of God is for us in the here and the now. That's kind of the idea. So just generally truthy information is actually out of bounds for a pastor to preach, even though you know the astrophysics you know, might have a whole bunch of really true stuff. Even if the whole culture explodes and just can't wait to get its hands on the latest truthful information from the world of astrophysics, that's not what we're called to preach on any given Sunday. So here's um, Ed and Lisa Young, um, well, teaching man-made doctrine and theology because they're not actually preaching the word. Listen in. Happy New Year to everybody. 2016, you know... I'm beginning a series with my lovely wife, Lisa, called Relationship Goals. And it's amazing how popular relationship goals are. Hashtag. Yeah, it's amazing how popular they are. Um, yeah, if this is a really Christian doctrine that we're supposed to be preaching, wouldn't we just open up to that section of Scripture and, you know, read it out, you know? Relationship goals. Yeah. I would not, I would not uh, suggest you, you, you go on to that hashtag because yeah. uh, it, it's Which not really we know yeah. that if we tell you that your right. temptation is go. going to be to go there don't yeah. go there yeah. Th- then why did you even say it during the sermon that doesn't make any sense uh, i lisa hey am, hey the hashtag is yeah. see relation, there, there you go. relationship goals fc fc that's yeah, a good, fellowship church yeah yeah, yeah. Church, that's yes. a good one that's the one so anyway I, though, am very nervous, Lisa, about this series because the stakes are sky high for every single person here. Yeah, yeah, the stakes are really sky high. Yeah, Relationships could fail if you don't give us this information on relationship goals. Yeah, uh, again, we're to be preaching the word, not things that are generally truthful. Life is all about relationships, and our great God is a relational God. We're made in his image. Thus, he wants us to relate and for our relationships to... (laughs) (laughs) All right, so here's the syllogism. You know, God is a relational God. Therefore, it it necessarily follows that God wants us to relate. (sighs) 
Yeah, again, job of the pastors to preach the word. I don't know what that was. To soar, not just remain stagnant or, or, or in, in some sort of a situation that's negative. That's right. Right, because God wants us to relate. So don't be stagnant in your relationships and, or, you know, or stay in something that's negative. Right, yeah. Many of us have started this year with goals. We've started this year wanting to lose weight, wanting to be more fit, maybe to work out more consistently. Yeah, so- listen to less heresy, but I, I don't think I'll be able to pull that goal off. People want to see career changes. Maybe you're wanting to maybe save more money, quit smoking. I don't know. The list goes on and on. Oh, yeah. The, this is so practical. I mean, at you know, the beginning of the new year, people are making resolutions. I know. Let's preach something relevant because everybody is making resolutions now. So we'll talk about relationship goals, you know, relationship resolution kind of thingies that, boy, yeah, the people just eat this stuff up. But notice what they're not doing, preaching the word. But what studies have shown is that all of these things that we have goals over are hinging or contingent upon one very important thing, and that's our relationships. So instead of... Yeah, because, you know, everything in our life hinges on our relationships. Well, we better chuck the word of God out and, you know, not actually preach through that uh no we, we've uh, it, it, this is too important everything is hinging on this is far too important for us to actually get bogged down and you know preaching god's word so we're gonna have to put the god's word aside god will understand i mean this is an emergency you know there's relationships on the line thinking about your diet your exercise yes that's good to think about it but what if we focus more on the people who are surrounding us and the success that we will find in these different areas of life just based on relationships yeah what if i mean can't you imagine how much better our lives would be i mean what if yeah, I mean, th- I mean that that's like the, the killer argument nowadays in evangelicalism. What if? Yeah, could you just imagine if, you know, and then fill in the blank, whatever the if is. Yeah. Um, oh, and by the way, God's word hmm, explicitly forbids Lisa Young from doing what she's doing right now. Weird, huh? When Ed says, wow, I feel somewhat scared to talk about this. I feel um, like the burden is heavy. Yeah, it's heavy because the stakes are sky high. Every single person that's in this room or at one of our different uh, environments, you have such potential in your life. But so often that potential is catastrophically defeated just by the people you're hanging around with. Oh, yeah, we, we better just I, you know, put God's word away. No, I mean, there's people whose whole lives and purpose and destinies and, you know, are just not happening you know, because of bad relationship goals. Yeah, that, I mean, that totally justifies putting the word of God away and, and disobeying it, too, by having Lisa preach. Yeah, I mean, this is an emergency here. I mean, how are people supposed to, you know, discover and fulfill their purposes if they don't understand how everything hooks into relationships. Yeah. Uh-huh. Too often we look around it and we say, wow, look what is surrounding me. Look what is surrounding me rather than look who is surrounding me. We need to be concerned about the who more so than the what. That's exactly correct. And, and for that, she gets uh, an applause. Despite the fact she's defying, openly defying and disobeying the clear teaching of the Word of God, 
regarding uh, what women are to be doing during the church service. Yeah, she's preaching, folks. Yeah, that God's word forbids that. And she's getting applause on Apparently she said something profound, but this isn't taught in the word of God. What is it? This is, this is human doctrine. This is man-made theology. You know, when it comes to relationships, we're going to talk about uh, pretty much every facet. We're going to talk about what it means to have the right platform to launch any relationship that you're involved in. For example, right, because the Bible, where does the Bible talk about the, uh, you know, relationship platforms that we can launch into relationships from? Where is that doctrine taught? We're talking about dating, spouse selection in this series. We'll be talking about marriage. Yeah, um, so yes, I mean, it's important to talk about marriage. The Bible actually has quite a bit to say about marriage, but in the context of relationship goals and things like that, hmm, I don't think so. Which is huge. We'll be talking about parenting. So all of the relationships are interconnected. They they, they kind of flow from one to another, Lisa. And again, I'm just... I'm just- I, I got to ask the question, um, What what qualifies Ed and Lisa Young to be speaking to us about relationship goals. Are they certified relationship therapists? I mean, if so, I mean, shouldn't they, you know, get an office and practice this skill of theirs and, you know, this vocation of theirs where it rightly should be practiced, you know, out there when people are seeking relationship help? I mean, why why would I go to a pastor, you know, to learn techniques and strategies and the important steps for relationship goals. I mean, you know, pastors can do certain things and do them well. I mean, they're trained and qualified to do certain things, but be relationship coach? Maybe not necessarily. Depends on their training. Excited that we have such a church that has so much firepower and so much intentionality about having the right kind of relationship. So I want to challenge you to make every single session of this seminar, of this series. Now, if you have seminar, this is sermon time. When did it become, when did sermon time become a seminar? Miss one, which I know you will not, but let's say you miss one. You can go online to fellowshipchurch.com and actually watch the message. And also too, we have an online church. Maybe you don't know this, that's seen here and also around the world. And you can actually interact with our online pastor, you know, what does Ed mean by that? I like what Lisa's wearing. Whatever it is, you can go back and forth and, and uh, talk. So, Lisa, let's, let's jump in because when I, when I think about relationships or relationship, I, I think about the word ship, relationship. So all of us, when we're born, we literally step on a ship, a relationship. Like- oh, good night. Oh. This is just stupid. <laughs> what is? Yeah, we, we really literally step on a relationship. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's about relationships, and our great God did something. He fixed the relationship that was warped because of our sinfulness, because of our behavior. So He's given us the opportunity to know him through Christ and not only to relate to him through Christ, but also to relate 
to others. And that's where the ship comes in. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, yeah, there has, has your relationship come in? Um, <clears throat> I mean, how do you straighten out this? Did he actually preach the gospel there? No. Was he exegeting a biblical text? N- no. Um, he made some reference to something that sounded like it was related to the gospel in the context of a relationship. Yeah. And, um, yeah, no. Um, he's not actually preaching the word now here, is he? No, he's not. This is really not Christian doctrine. This is not Christian theology. I don't know what this is, but I do know what it isn't. It's not actually him preaching God's word. He's doing something very different. And as a result of it, he's teaching the doctrines of men. This this is based upon some really big stretch of logic, based upon, you know, kind of a, you know, a, sm- a smidgen, a smidgen of uh, of Bible, and then some extrapolation of it, and you know that this is not no, I, I yeah, you, I think you get the point. <sighs> All right, looking at my time, we're going to move on. We're going to do our Carrie Shook update, and then tomorrow we'll get to uh, Brian Houston. So stay tuned. We'll we'll get to the Brian Houston. But uh, since we're doing a Carrie Shook update, that requires us to do this. Let's go, girls. That's our uh, Carrie Shook update. <laughs> He's like, man, I feel like a woman. Every time I review something from Carrie Shook, I feel the testosterone just literally being sucked out of my body. It's like having your soul removed. But anyway, what we're going to be listening to from <laughs> Carrie Shook is a recent sermon they posted entitled Navigating the Oceans of Indecision. And uh, and since we're kind of working, if you haven't figured it out, today's theme has something to do with man-made doctrines. Yeah, if you're thinking along those lines, that that's our theme for today, you guessed it. And so there's another way in which you come up with man-made doctrines, and that is by hijacking God's Word. And what I mean is, is you rip a verse out of context, 
and then you, the preacher, govern what it is the text is saying rather than God governing what it says. Yeah, so he's going to be doing this, and I'll point it out along the way, but yeah, hang on to your hats. uh, And uh, those of you who are listening in the gym, you might want to take a testosterone booster right now. So if you're lifting weights, especially deadlifting anything or like doing, you know, um, you know, you know, one of those push-ups or something like that, you know, yeah, be careful, be careful because Carrie Shook has a tendency to suck testosterone out of all of the males in the audience. I'm just saying, so you got to be careful while lifting, listening to Carrie Shook. Here we go. Wheel of a Spanish merchant ship. Because in our world today, it's as if we're all at the helm of a ship sailing in uncharted seas. And we're all trying to navigate our lives through the obstacle of uncertainty. (laughs) Another ship analogy here. Now we're navigating our ship, the ship of our lives, through the ocean and the sea of uncertainty. Man, I mean, where... In the Bible, do we find the important navigational aids to help us navigate through the sea of uncertainty? Not familiar with that doctrine, nor do I find the church fathers spending a lot of time talking about that. It's the weirdest thing here. And it seems like all around us are icebergs of indecision and coral reefs of confusion and chaos. Oh, yeah, the coral reef of confusion and chaos. It's... Oh, yeah, it's it's like the Cliffs of Insanity, you know, from Princess Bride. Okay. Floating minds of fear and anxiety. Yeah. Folks, I don't have to tell you, we live in very confusing times. Right. And I think the church is leading the way into the sea of confusion and insanity. And it seems at times like this world is just spinning out of control. Right. And the church is leading the way there, dude. So that's why we're starting a new series in the new year that I'm calling Uncharted, Finding Divine Direction in Confusing Times. I am going to, yeah, spit nails here or something like that. Because the good news is God wants to guide you safely through the dangerous and uncharted waters of life. No, the good news is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture and was raised again on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Yeah, you know, that's the gospel, good news. Yeah, no, the good news is that is not having anything to do with God helping you chart through the sea of uncertainty. I mean, yeah, where'd you get that gospel? God wants to help you navigate through an ocean of indecision. Really, you're saying that with such certainty, but should you be? Where in the Bible does it say God wants to help you navigate through the sea of uncertainty. I mean, I would never claim to have any authority to speak on behalf of God unless I had a very clear word from God and him saying, you know, this is what you're to preach. And since the only place I can go with any certainty and know that I'm hearing from God is the written word of God, my job as a pastor is to exegete the clear word of God. And I can say with certainty, this is what God has said. and This is what God wills for you. And it has to be based upon clear passages. Here you're saying God wants to do these things, but I don't recall where God ever said he wanted to do any of the things you're saying. 
Don't you think it's dangerous for you to be talking like that, you know, speaking on behalf of God, if you don't actually have a clear word from God authorizing you to say what you're saying? And give you clarity in these confusing times. God really wants to give you the ability in this new year to make great decisions that make all the difference in your life. Because... I, wow, what a helpful God that is. I mean, God wants to help you make great decisions. Wow, that's just, I, where are you getting this? Decisions determine our destiny. Yeah, de- decisions that determine our des- density. Yes, right, right, yeah. And there's so many choices in our society today, and it creates even more confusion. Right, like you had the decision that you had to make while preparing the sermon. Will I actually preach God's word? Correctly, or am I going to twist it um, so that I make the word say what I want it to say? Yeah, that was a decision you had to make. And, you know, if you were to actually preach the word, that would bring clarity to people. But when you start twisting God's word to fit your agenda, your doctrinal or seeker-driven agenda, you know, you're really adding to a lot of confusion in an already confusing world. You know what I mean? Remember when I was a kid, if you wanted a Coke, your only choice was Coke. And now you got about 30 choices. You know, there's Coke and Diet Coke and Diet Caffeine-Free Coke, Diet Caffeine-Free Coke with Lime and Zero Coke and Eco-Friendly Coke or something like that. There's all these different choices. And with all the choices, it creates even more confusion. And if there was ever... Right. So will this sermon series help me better decide which brand of Coca-Cola to to drink? (laughs) Whew. There's quite an important takeaway. That's some, that's some relevancy right there, folks. Time when we need divine clarity in our lives, it's now. Yeah, because of how confusing, you know, deciding on Coke is. Yeah. In fact, I want you to see this first verse because we'll see that God's not the author of confusion. Now, this is important. Now, we're talking about man-made doctrine. Watch what he does here. We're going we're gonna to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis. And I want you to first listen to how he's using this text. And we're just going to basically ask the question, is this the way he's quoting this verse in this context? You know, you know, there's confusion in the world. God wants to give you clarity so that you can make better decisions. Is the verse that he's about to read, does it actually teach this okay listen in look with me in first corinthians 14 33 all right so first corinthians 14 33 if you have your bible you should be opening up there and i'm going to let him spin this out first and then we'll apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis first corinthians 14 33 is the verse out of context let's see what he does with it God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Uh, that's right. Yeah, from the New King James Version, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So therefore, ergo, God wants you to have peace in your life by helping you make better decisions to eliminate confusion. Okay, listen to what he does. So it's the enemy that tries to create confusion in our lives. Yeah. But God wants to give us divine clarity that cuts through the confusion. This year, God wants to give you the clarity to make great decisions in your family and relationships. All right, so now you've seen what he's done with this passage. Is he teaching the doctrines of men, or is he really teaching the doctrine and teaching of God? Well, the answer is going to be found when we take a look at the text. 
Okay, so our three rules, by the way, if you're not familiar with these three rules, the three rules for sound biblical exegesis, and that means to rightly understand God's word, is, they are, context, context, context. All right? So the verse in question is 1 Corinthians 14, 33. God is not the God of confusion, but of peace. There it is, okay? So this was said in the context of making good decisions for your life and challenging and confusing times. But is that what the Apostle Paul was talking about? Let's take a look. Here's what it says, and we're going to apply the context by going to verse 20. And we're going to see what Paul's talking about. And then we're going to keep reading all the way to 33, maybe a little bit beyond. So you're going to add some context before and some context after the verse to see if this is what this text is teaching us. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written by people of strange tongues, and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign for unbelievers, but is not a sign for unbelievers, but for believers. If, the, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an outsiders uh, or unbelievers enter, will they not say to you that you're out of your minds? But if you all prophesy, an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn or a lesson or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation, let all things be done for the building up. But if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the, three, at the most three, and each in turn, and then let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and to speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And as it is in all of the churches of the saints... The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they should be in submission, as the law also says. If, therefore, anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, there's our context. Does it sound like it? You know, God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace is being spoken of here in the context of, oh, life is challenging and confusing. You know, you've you got 30 different varieties of soda pop to choose from, and so you need to choose wisely. So God is not a confusion, but a, a God of peace. No, that's not what this text is saying at all. God is not a confusion, but a God of peace is spoken here in the context of a church service, an orderly one. Not run run amok where the gifts of the Spirit are abused, where people are speaking in tongues without an interpreter or things like that. Mm. And also women being silent in the church. So there you go. So what is Kerry uh, Shook doing here? He's ripped God's word out of context. He's hijacked what the text says so that Kerry Shook can teach man, man-made doctrines not the doctrines of God. That's what he's doing. This, the, the origin of his teaching is not the written word of God. The origin of his teaching is his mind, his, him being a man, Carrie Shook. 
He's hijacked God's word so that he can speak louder than God so that people will listen to him rather than God. We continue. To give you divine clarity to make wise financial decisions. God wants to give you the clarity to make great decisions in your workplace and in your career. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 14.33 doesn't say that. I want us to look at a man in the Old Testament who sailed through some uncharted seas. His name was Noah. God. What? You what? So now we're going to turn to Noah. Y'all familiar with the story of the ark? Why did God have Noah build an ark? Because he was going to judge the world and destroy it. Only Noah had faith in God and only he and his family survived. Wow. So apparently now the story of Noah is all about learning how to navigate, you know, the confusing world out there and, and, you know, different decisions in your life. Wow. So is he teaching what God's word teaches regarding Noah? Or is he teaching man-made doctrine? called him to build a rescue ship because a great flood was on its way. And so Noah builds the ark and... Then he and his family and all the animals go into the ark, but everyone else rejects God. They don't believe the flood is coming. And so the rescue ship. Now, is he actually teaching God's word here? Is he preaching the word? Nope, he isn't. Just a rescue ship for Noah's family and the animals. And then God sends the flood. And Noah finds himself sailing through uncharted waters. Um, the whole world was gone. He was floating on top of a world covered in water. And after seven months of being on the boat, the ark finally comes to rest, the Bible says, on Mount Ararat, which is modern-day Turkey. So can you imagine being in that ark for seven months, trapped with your family, and all these stinking, smelling animals... Don't you think Noah was ready to get out of the ark? Uh, Nothing in the text actually says that Noah was ready to get out of the ark. He was waiting for God to say it was okay, you know. But he has this major decision to make. Um, And what would that be? A huge decision with profound ramifications. When should he and his family and the animals leave the ark? When? Um, (laughs) you leave the ark when the waters are no longer covering the whole earth. Oh, man. What on earth is this? Should they walk out that door? And Noah knows this has huge implications. The whole human race is at stake. Right. Yeah. Noah, I mean, really was biting his fingernails off there on that decision. Oh, I don't. I. Whew. I better make sure I don't walk off the ark and then into the ocean. You know, I... (laughs) Oh, man, this is bad. This is just aggravatingly awful. And I think I don't even need to go on anymore. I think, you know, uh, Carrie Shook has made my point for me. Is he really preaching the word? No, he's not. Is he telling us what God's word means? Do you think that the reason why the story of the ark and and Noah actually sending out the dove and then the raven, you know, and and, and, these things that, you know, all that kind of stuff, 
was so that we can learn how to navigate the difficult decisions, the challenging and confusing decisions that we have to make in this very challenging and confusing life? The answer is no. I mean, this is not what God's word is about at all. These men are not teaching and preaching the word of God. They are teaching and preaching the doctrines of men. And that, my friends, brothers and sisters, is the problem. And as long as people call themselves Christians and are listening to this, they're not hearing the voice of God. They're only hearing the voice of men. Think about it. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. When we come back, we're going to be listening to Daniel K. Alukaya. Yeah, I probably butchered his name. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Faith Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas is having a Biblical Worldview Conference February 5th and 6th, 2016 with the theme, Standing Firm in a Hostile World, to help Christians in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Biblical Christianity. Speakers will include Pastor David J. Weber, Attorney Mark Stern, Professor Alan Quist, Dr. Adam Francisco, and Pastor Joseph Abrahamson. Registration and details can be found at worldviewsa.org. Again, that's worldviewsa.org. Two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. We're heading to Nigeria. Necessary to help open the eyes of our brothers and sisters on the uh, continent of Africa as they are falling prey to false teachers like the one that you are about to hear. But let's do this right.
Good, the Bad, the Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing sermon uh, service. Today's sermon, I don't know what this thing is, comes to us via Mountain of Fire and Miracles Ministry in... Um, well, actually, they're at multi-site, I guess. Yaba, Lagos, Lagos State, and Nigeria. The person we'll be listening to, is in, uh, his name is D.K. Alukaya. Yeah, I probably messed that up. Daniel K. Alukala. And the name of the sermon we'll be listening to is entitled The Chemistry of Spiritual Power. Chemistry of Spiritual Power. Not sure what to make of what it is that we're about to hear, but what we're going to be listening to is specifically to hear if he's teaching what God's Word says or is he hijacking the biblical texts in order to teach man-made doctrines. That's kind of our theme today, if you haven't figured it out. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Daniel Kealukala from Fire, Mountain of Fire and Miracles Ministry in Nigeria and uh, the chemistry of spiritual power. Yeah, the chemistry of spiritual power. Here we go. I'd like you to listen to this short message very, very carefully. Yeah, it's not short, unfortunately. So, so carefully, I want your external ear and the internal one to listen very carefully. I will do that, and I'll even, you know, compare what you're saying to God's Word to see if what you're saying is true. Because this message may save your life one day. Oh, wow, it's going to save my life. So it's better to listen attentively. Uh, Okay, I'll do my best. And to take notes appropriately. Okay, I, I got a pen in my hand. So that you'll be able to refer back to this message. Right. For the next few minutes... I want to talk with you on what I call the chemistry of spiritual power. Mm-hmm. Notice he said the important words, what I call. Hmm, not a good indicator. Um, it's, it's bad, if, if you would. I feel like we're going to hear man-made doctrines rather than biblical truth. The chemistry of what? Spiritual power. Yeah. I want to reveal unto you certain secrets that you need if you must be a man or woman of power. Okay. Seven. Those are the words he used. Secrets. Seven secrets if you want to be a man or woman of spiritual power. Hmm. Where in the Bible can I go to find that passage that lays out the seven secrets of how to be a man or woman of spiritual power? I don't recall that text. It's not looking good here, folks. I think we're going to be hearing man-made doctrines. There's nobody who is too young to receive spiritual power. In fact, to be quite honest with you, the more powerful you are, the better your life becomes. You need to understand that. The chemistry of... The more powerful I am, the, the better my life becomes... Yeah, I'm not familiar with that biblical teaching either. must not be biblical. It must be man-made doctrines he's given us. Power. Everybody needs this message. Whatever situation you are in the church, whether you're a pastor, you're an usher, you need power in your life. By the time Jesus was leaving this planet, he saw the disciples he was leaving behind, that they were weak, they were tired, they couldn't withstand the Jews, 
they were confused. They looked like men who were disappointed and discouraged. The only thing he left them with, after looking at them, he said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. There are two... Uh, so I'm going to receive power after the Holy Ghost comes on me. Yeah, that was actually spoken to the disciples. And... Um... Yeah, we, everybody who is a penitent believer in Christ, who's baptized, has the Holy Spirit. So, um, not sure what you're talking about here, dude. Keys that can get you anything you want in life. Two keys. Two keys that'll give me anything I want in life. Really, I feel like you're scratching itching ears here. Yeah, I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm pay- and taking notes and carefully listening, like you told me to. The key of power and the key of wisdom. Um, the key of power. Huh. Not familiar with that doctrine regarding the key of power. Where'd you find it? The key of power and the key of wisdom. But the most powerful key is the key of power. Right. Um, which text says that? The key of power, the key of wisdom. Now notice, he hasn't actually given us any biblical text that say any of this stuff. We're two minutes, 25 seconds into the sermon, and we're hearing theology? But where's it coming from? What's its source? Is it the written word of God? There's no indicator that it would be. Or is it this man's mind? Yeah, more than likely, it's coming from him. In Psalm 62, verse 11. Psalm 62, verse 11. Psalm 62, verse 11 says. Right, I, I'm there. Psalm 62, 11. We'll apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis. And let's preempt him. Let's take a look at it. Psalm 62 is, well, it's only got 12 verses. Why don't we do something really crazy here? And wh- why don't we read it, you know, in its entirety and uh, see if uh, this talks about the key of power. And the importance of the key of power, you know, as he was talking about there. Um, I'm sure, I mean, this text, I mean, this this guy's a man of God, right? I mean, so he's got to be telling us the truth about the key of power, right? It's right there in Psalm 62, 11. Well, here's what it says, Psalm 62, starting at verse 1. Context, context, context. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock. And my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion in the balances. They go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, 
Twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. There it is. So I didn't see anything about any key of power, did you? I, you know, I didn't know. I didn't see anything about any key of power. A great song, by the way. But why do I feel like he's about to twist it? Are we there? I wait for you to get there. Psalm sixty-two, verse eleven. Are we there now? Okay, if you are there, read it loud and clear. Let me hear you. Let's go. Power belonging unto who? God. There is power and there is power. Uh, yeah. Um, Psalm sixty-two, eleven didn't say anything about the key of power. Yeah, it does say that all power belongs to God. Um, but what you're doing here, uh, this is uh, the theological equivalent of a fast one. This is a con. You're not teaching the truth. You're ripping God's word out of context to preach your doctrines rather than what God's word teaches. We continue. <laughs> there is power and there is power. The children of darkness recognize. We're not gathered here united tonight because of the name of our teams or of our school. Recognize that there is power. The Bible recognizes that there is power. Unto who? God. There is power and there is power. <laughs> there is power and there is power. The children of darkness recognize that there is power. The Bible recognizes that there is power. It says, Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over every power of the enemy. So the enemy has power. So, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So there is a power that can trample upon another power, which is the power of the enemy. It was my years as a lecturer. Yeah, this is a lot of power talk, but not a lot of biblical exegesis. Uh, at College of Medicine, at Idiaraba. I finished my lecture that day. I used to teach genetics in those days in the Department of Biochemistry and Microbiology. I finished my lectures. I was going away. Two people were quarreling at the back of the gate at Luth. A young man, the man... That man cannot be more than 22, 23. Was quarreling with an old man. The old man will be around 70. The old man sells pigs. So this young man had gone there last week to buy a pig. But he didn't take the pig away. He said, Baba, I've paid for this pig. You keep this pig here. I'll come and pick it up next week. And the man said, okay. He took the money of the young man. But by the time the young man got there, that day, and said, hey, Baba, okay, I've come to pick up my pig. The man said, sorry, the particular pig you bought that day has died. So you have to pay for another pig. Ah. Ah, the, the, the man said, but the pig did not leave this place. So let me pick another pig and go with it. The man said, you cannot pick another pig. So they began to quarrel, they began to quarrel, they began to argue and quarrel. And already, you know, Lagos, Lagos people, even if it's two cock fighting, very quickly now, the crowd will gather. They've gathered. Me too, I gathered there. 
The man, the man, the old man was saying, "Say, want this boy if he does not want to die, and if he doesn't want his parents to become childless, want this man to get away from here now." The, so people were begging the boy, "Say, go away. This Baba is very wicked. We know him on this place. He has terrible juju, terrible wicked power. So please just go, 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 go. His magic is terrible. Leave this place." The young man said, "I'm not leaving. I want my pig." So the man said, "Before I count three, get out of here. One, two, three. The man, st- the young man stood. So the Baba ran inside. And came out with a horn. A horn. A dry horn. Inside the horn was a viper tooth. And he spat into the horn. Pia, pia, pia. And began incantation. Blah, 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 And began to issue incantation. So we're supposed to be getting our Christian doctrine and theology from the story about the pig and the, well, yeah, that's weird. Everybody was afraid. Everybody was afraid. But this young man just stood there watching him. When the Baba finished the incantation, he asked him, I said, is that all? So is that all? This young man now started his own incantation. From another realm, another department. Huh? By the time the young man started this incantation from a realm that is above the, the Baba. I said, huh? Ah. Okay, okay, just so, don't continue. I can give you three pigs. Go away. So, yeah, again, uh, so why are you telling this story? Notice he's not exegeting a biblical passage. Apparently he's just proving this is true from some anecdotal story about a pig and a witch doctor. Uh-huh. Those are children of darkness contesting with power. They know the usefulness of power. Beloved, let me tell you the truth. If you are a child of destiny... Yeah, you're, you haven't told us the truth yet. Know for sure. Some pastors may not tell you this. They may say you'll be shouting, it's all over, I've won. Know for sure that if you are a child of destiny, you will be under attack. From forces you don't understand. And if you come from a polygamous home, you will be under attack. Unless there is a greater power in you, you may be wasted. That's the truth. And don't deceive yourself. Young people are dying every day. Every day. Go to the mortuary. You find them. Every day. Every day. The last time I was passing through the cemetery here, I saw one of my pastor's friends there. He said he had come to bury a girl who died at 23. I said, 23? What killed her? She said, he said, typhoid fever. I said, ah. In this modern world, how can typhoid fever kill somebody? But I knew it was not typhoid fever. It's an arrow of darkness. I pray for somebody here that those hidden enemies of your father's house that have decided that you will not rise, they must be buried today. Yeah, apparently now he's really working them up here. Oh, this is a guy who's really battling darkness. But with what? His own theology, not a biblical one. Let your amen roar like thunder. Let your amen roar like thunder. Those are children of darkness. So there is power and there is a power. There, but there is a power that cannot be despised. There is a power that cannot be insulted. 
There is a power that cannot be molested. There is a power before which all other powers bow. There is a power that cannot be reproached. There is a power that no power of darkness can confront them. There is a power that will make you unstoppable. There is a power that can make way for you where there is no way. There is a power that can even make your own enemies to look after you. There is a power that... Yeah, again, where is he getting this? He's not exegeting a biblical text. He's not saying, here's what God's word says and the gospel of John or Matthew. No, he's just making this up. Make those who don't know you to begin to fight for you behind your back. There is a power that transcends all power. There is a power that can go from continent to continent. There is a power that can go from family to family. There is a power that is known as the imperial power. There is a power that is known as the overall power. There is a power to conquer and rule, even on this earth where you are. There is a power for your zero hour that can lift you out of that zero hour and put you into the hour of blessing. There is a power that prevails against any other power. There is a power that will register you for miracles. There is a power that the enemy looks at you and they run. There is a power that any arrow fired against you will just do a roundabout turn and go back to the sender. I have a feeling in my heart that there is somebody here today who wants that power. If you are the person, let me hear you shout it loud, amen. Yeah, you keep talking about this power thing um, without any biblical text and then asking everybody, uh, who wants this power? And I feel like I'm being sold something, you know. How how much does this power cost? I bet he charges for it. But um, the problem is um, he hasn't actually demonstrated anything from God's word that what he's saying is actually what God has revealed in his word. This is a man-made doctrine. You need that power. Many people who are pastors, they get everything wrong. They say, "Eh, let them increase our salary. Let them pay this. Let them pay that. The day you have the power of God in your life, you don't need a salary anymore. You don't need one anymore. The day you have that power, you don't need a salary anymore. There was somebody I prayed with some times back. The enemy was troubling this person. The The enemy... through the person all over the place, through the person from post to post, from pillar to pillar, we began to pray. One day, God intervened. Power changed hands. This person now came to my office and said, Gio, thank you very, very much for the prayers. God has just opened a, a serious door of bread. Yeah, this guy's a great storyteller, but he's not telling me anything that God's word actually says. And the person, uh, the person who, 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 who was blocking my way, God has removed the person and now everything that I cannot sell I've sold them and I've made plenty of profit and uh, I just take this token so she gave me what she called a token me, I didn't even bother to look at it, I just put it somewhere and continue my counseling when I got home and I opened it I found $78,000 
Amen. Now, if you are paying me salary as general of Asia, can you pay me $78,000 in a month? It's not possible. So, some, some pastors chase the wrong, wrong things. Once the power of God enters into your life, that day your poverty dies. How many people want that power? Let your amen be loud and clear. Yeah, how many people want this power that he's selling? Right, yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the story of Simon the Sorcerer from the book of Acts. This is not good. This is not biblical. This is man-made doctrine, and this guy whipping these people up into a frenzy. Well, they're feeding right out of his hand, but he's not feeding them God's word. Are you following what I'm saying? On two occasions now, People have sent me checks of 5 million naira, 10 million naira. I don't know them. They said they read prayer in. Prayer in. They said they read prayer in and that they got victory. But that when they bought the book, they said, if I pray and the prayer in this book helped me to solve my problem, whoever wrote this book, I will write a check. And they sent me a 10 million naira check, 5 million. I don't know them. I've never seen them before. They just read. If you, if you pay me salary as general officer, will you pay me 10 million naira in a month? There is no professor anywhere in the world who even gets five million naira in a month. So, when the power of God enters into your life, it's a different thing entirely. It is better to have the power of God than to be painting your lips. <laughs> it is better to have the power of God than to be having a long chain that will be touching your belly button. It is better to have the power of God than to tie belt that will be squeezing your waist. Because that waist can be wasted. It is better to have the power of God in your life than to aggressively be pushing out your breast from under the blouse. That somebody will be seeing it. It's better you men to have the power of God than that wicked cheap chain you are putting on your neck. And you are displaying the chain for people to say, I'm through your shirt like this. So we see that you are wearing chain. What chain? It's not even one carat. Amen. Listen. It's not often general versus get excited because we see so many things. But one day like this, oh, it was one of the most exciting days in my life. I was so excited. I was so happy. What happened? It was at this headquarters. Three men were shouting outside. Let us see that general versus. If you don't let us see, we shall burn down this place. The noise was much. Myself was saying, no, no, you don't have appointment. I said, appointment? <laughs> we shall burn down this place. So when I have burned down, burned down, I said, ah. I came and I said, don't burn down this place. What, what is the problem? So these three men came in. Old men. Again, anecdotal story about his life. And these stories, the details sound sketchy, dubious. Hmm. And he's getting his theology from this is proof. I mean, look at my life. I mean, look at the million dollar checks I had and then the diamonds and the hmm. That's weird. If this is really what God wants us to believe, why aren't you actually opening up to a biblical text 
and exegeting the passage and showing us from Scripture that this is what God has revealed in His Word. Real simple. Because He's not teaching Christian or biblical doctrine. He's teaching the doctrines of men. As I hear the general of ourselves, the mountain of fire, miracles, I said yes. Uh, I said sit down. I said no. Why not sit down? I said, what can I do to help you? He said, sir, there is a member of your church that has just packed into our house six months ago. Since this man packed into our house, nobody in this compound has been able to go to witchcraft meeting. So, as I'm talking to you now, so my wife is sick in the house because this man did not allow my wife to attend witchcraft meeting, so they disciplined her for not coming. Say, sir, that's why we came here. So, this is the money the man had paid for three years. Just help us give him back his money and ask him to pack out. I pinched myself to convince myself that I was not seeing the vision, that I was wide awake. So, I saw that I was wide awake. And I said, excuse me, excuse me, sir. That is all your, excuse me. Are you saying you are witches? They say yes, yes. That's what we're saying. And you mean you don't? yes? We're witches. I say, but is the man very rude and insultive? He said, no, perfect gentleman. I was going quietly. Good morning. It's very, 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 very nice, man. But immediately it is twelve midnight. And he stands up and begins to speak one strange language like this. The whole house will get on fire. Nobody can go anywhere. I say, I see. I say, but if the man is praying to block your way and you cannot go to your witchcraft meetings, don't you think he has a greater power? I say, I beg, we're not here for grammar. This is his money. I was so happy that somebody is putting the enemy on the run. That is not the kind of stories we get now. The kind of stories we get is that they are pressing me down. Somebody is stealing my pants when I was sleeping. Somebody's barbed my hair while I was sleeping. Uh, one spirit husband is running after me. In fact, uh, tonight, this night, four hours, three hours, I was busy with me. Those are the kind of stories we get. But here was somebody putting the enemy on the run. I prophesy upon your life. You shall pursue your enemies. You shall pursue them. You shall- oh, you're prophesying. And, and now another, whoa, the crowd's going crazy here after he tells another story that isn't found in the Bible. Weird, huh? Yeah. Man-made doctrines. Pursue them. You shall pursue them. You shall pursue them. You shall pursue them. In the name of Jesus. There is power and there is power. Yeah, you keep saying that, and that time that sounded really creepy, demonic, yeah. There is power, and there is a power. It was in the old Oyo town. Oyo town is known for two things. Number one, demonic idolatry foundation and Islamic foundation. Oyo town. If you are from there, God have mercy. One man got born again. He was a former Muslim. He got born again as a Christian. So he now decided to go back to his town to evangelize. 
So he went there, he hired the town hall and he invited people to come. The way this man ministers is that he will have the Bible in one hand and the Quran in the other. He will read from the Bible, he will read from the Quran and he will be using the Bible to try and disprove the Quran. That is how he ministered. So he got to the town hall. A lot of people were in the town hall looking at him with angry eyes. Say, this one who was one of us is now reading Bible and reading Quran. Let him just finish the day before we finish him off. So they were just looking. The, the more he preached, the angrier they became. He preached, preached, preached. He didn't convert housefly. They, they were very angry. In fact, it was police that rescued him. They would have lynched him. They would have killed him there. Police rescued him. He didn't he won no combat. Few years later, somebody else went to Oyotan Hall. This man was a mechanic before God called him. In fact, he didn't read primary six. He got to the town hall. Again, they were there. Fill the place. Muslims, all of them. The place. Jam. The place was jammed. So this one has come. Maybe it's like the other one. But this man just got there and he preached a short message. Yeah, so you've kind of seen how this sermon works. He's read one verse from a psalm out of context. Keeps repeating, there's power and then there's power. Tells an anecdotal story from his life or somebody else's life. No way of confirming or denying any of the stuff that's given in the stories. And then works him up into a frenzy. Do you want this kind of power? You need this. And then he, and then the whole cycle begins again. But see, the thing is, how many Christians out there, how many of them out there are listening to men just like Dr. Uh, Daniel Alukoya and are, you know, listening to people who like telling stories? Oh, yeah, they're really gifted storytellers but they're not preaching the word. Instead, what they're doing is drawing theology from their life experiences. But see, the thing is, is your life experiences, my life experiences, somebody else's life experiences are never going to rise to the level of the thing by which we get our doctrine and theology from. Instead, Scripture alone is where we are to get our doctrine, our theology, and where we're we're to be taught what God wants us to believe, teach, confess, do, and um, what this man's teaching and saying that God wants to give them is not what God wants to give them, and he's not basing it on texts. He's basing it on stories. These are man-made doctrines. These are man-made commandments. This is a man-made theology. And I don't even need to keep going in this sermon because you can already see how it works. How many people here in the United States, how many preachers in the United States do the exact same thing? And all these people, they just follow this person blindly thinking, oh, well, this story about this guy and this thing that he did and how he went and did that and that somehow this proves that this theology is correct. It doesn't prove anything. It just proves that they're not getting their theology from the word of God, but are instead following and believing the doctrines of men. You get the point. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition 
or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, and by Christ's death on the cross, for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>